Welcome to the CityGate Church podcast. Today's message was recorded at our live Sunday services, and we hope that it encourages you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So Daniel's 70-week prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, which let's just get this straight at the very beginning, Jerusalem the holy city of God. And it says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in the troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood." until the end of the war of the desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with those for one week. But in the centre, the centre point of the one week, the middle of the one week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes a desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. As I say, Isaiah spoke of the end times. Ezekiel spoke of the end times. Jesus himself. Let's read Matthew chapter 24, verses three to verses 31. There are so many scriptures I could go to. The sake of time, if we were doing a whole day in a Bible school, then that's what we would do. But let's just grab those from Daniel and those from Matthew and a couple of others. Matthew 24. Now as he, which is the Lord Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For um, any will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and the rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the sorrows. Other translations say the birth pangs. Then they are gonna deliver you up for tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then there will be many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of the, as as, as lawlessness is going to abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the king, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world to all the nations and then the end 
will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was prophesied by Daniel, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and those who are on the housetop not go down to take anything from his house and let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who have young Babies in those days, pray that your flight may not be during the winter time or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, there is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and uh, wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Don't... If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from east and flashes to the west, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man be. For whoever the carcass, sorry, for uh, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Can I hear an Amen this morning? Wow. God, just going through those Scriptures stirs something on the inside. And, and so today we're going to deal with the end times. What happens? What is actually going to happen on earth, in the heavens, with Israel, with the church, with the world? What's going to happen? It's really clear in the Bible that we're to be aware of what's going on. But I'm also very aware that people go into extremes. And now the problem is, that's where the whole church goes, oh yeah, people go into the extremes. So that means we don't ever think about it. And I think that's a real problem because Jesus himself spent a lot of time talking about the second coming and a whole number of the books in the New Testament talk about the second coming because we live for the second coming of Christ. Our God is returning. Jesus is coming back. And what the enemy has been successful in doing is, is, is sort of almost putting this over to the annex as, a, well, it's not really important. It, it doesn't really matter if you know about it or not. It doesn't really matter if you understand it or not. It doesn't matter. That's for the weird people. That's for the people who are all about times and dates and, and all this sort of stuff. So I'm, not, I'm just gonna love Jesus. Well, if that's your attitude this morning, then it's time for that to change. It's time for that to change. It's time for us to be very aware that to understand that the church is alive today and we need to understand where we are and what's going on in the body of Christ, in the world today, because the Bible says, blessed are those who eagerly await His coming and our heads are lifted high and our whole attitude is come Lord Jesus, not from a place of, oh, I can't handle this anymore, but from a place of, wow, look at what's going on. Jesus, come quickly. So, 
How do we deal with this? We deal with this, and I'm going to deal with this with this 70 weeks prophetic word of Daniel. Now, the 70 weeks, what is a week? Here in this prophetic word, a week is a period of seven years, very clearly from Scripture. A week of years is seven years. So when it says about a week and 62 weeks and then another week, it's talking about seven year periods. And it's very clear from that Scripture, says from the day the announcement is given to rebuild the temple. This is not allegorical. This is absolutely prophetic. From the day that we the, the authority is declared to rebuild the temple, there will be one week and 62 weeks. And I've already made a mistake. No, I haven't. A week is, is a seven-year period. That's right. It says seven weeks and 62 weeks, not one week. Seven weeks and 62 weeks. So it's very clear from Scripture, 445 before Christ is when the declaration was given. From that point on, there was a 49-year period to the date historically where the temple was rebuilt. It started in 445 BC and Jerusalem was finished in 396. This is history. 49-year period from the day it was declared to the day it was done. So that is our first um, seven-week period of 49 years. Are you with me? So this is amazing. Already we're going, wow. Then we have, he said, then there will be 62 weeks of years 62 weeks of years from the completion of Jerusalem, this is, we've just read this prophetic word, to the day Jesus or to the year Jesus is cut off. That is a period of 434 years, which brings us to AD 32, the year Jesus was crucified. Okay, this is, this is absolute scripture. This is not allegorical. This is the timeline that God has given. Then it speaks about there will be a prophetic gap. And that prophetic gap is the age of the church. Because you've got to remember this whole prophetic word is about Israel. Are you with me? It's about Israel. So from the day the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, we are no longer in the time of Israel. We are in the time of the church. AD 32 was the outpouring, the day of Pentecost. Jesus was raised from the dead. He went to be at the right hand of the Father and the church age was born. Can we have the next one up? We should have the reveal there about Jesus being crucified. Bang, there he is. 483 years to the year when Jesus was crucified. Now, um, okay, I'm just gonna read some other scripture right now. During this time, the 62 weeks, which is 434 years, we have other prophetic words from Daniel. Let's read Daniel chapter two. This is the dream. 
Now we tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory. And wherever the children, this should be coming up here, wherever the children may dwell or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Now this is speaking about the, the whole dream that the king had. Do you remember he had an image? He had the head of gold, the chest of silver, the uh, thighs of bronze and the legs of iron and clay. That's a whole thing that was going on in early Daniel because you've all read the book of Daniel by now, I hope, because that's the series that we are in. So there's this whole image. He said, you are the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. But after you will arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another and a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as, an, as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything like iron that crushes. That kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And then it says the feet and the toes, partly of clay, partly of iron. And the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes and the feet were partly iron, partly clay, so the kingdom... It's going to be partly strong, but partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days, these things, sorry, these kings, sorry, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It will break in pieces and consume all the other kingdoms and it shall stand forever. That's the kingdom of God. In as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, iron, bronze, clay, silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Uh, um, I'll turn to Daniel chapter 7 verse 17. These great four beasts, this is another prophetic thing about the same period. These four beasts, which are four kings, which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was far different from the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces, trampled underfoot with its feet. The 10 horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three fell and that horn which had eyes and a mouth and spoke um, uh, blasphemous things, pompous things, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. And as I watched, the same horn that was making war against the saints, prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favour of the saints of the Most High. And at that time, and the, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be far different from the others and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The 10 horns are 10 kings which arise out from its kingdom and another shall arise after them and he shall be different from the first ones and, sh and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change the times and the law. 
Then the saints shall be given into his hand for at a time, times and half a time, but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The saints of the Most High, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So we have two Um, examples there of the same prophetic period, which is four kingdoms in the earth. The first kingdom is the kingdom with a gold head and that is the kingdom of um, Babylon. That's the gold head at the time of Daniel. And in the other one in um, Daniel chapter seven, that's the lion and the eagle's wings. I'm not gonna get into specifics about all this, but just so it's clear for this message, that's the lion with the eagle's wings, which speaks of Ishtar, the goddess Ishtar. We'll get into that next time. After that, there will be this other kingdom. It's a silver um, kingdom with chest and with arms, and that's the Medes and the Persians. And one was stronger than the other. All of this is there all in the prophetic words. It's exactly what happened. It speaks of a bear with three ribs in its mouth. And that was a whole, a whole season where this new kingdom destroyed Egypt and um, as, as, as Lydia and Babylon. After that was a bronze kingdom, the middle and the thighs. That's the Greek kingdom. This is all history. That in the Bible was this cat with four heads and four wings. And it speaks of those four because Alexander the Great led the Greek kingdom and that was divided into his four generals. And when he died, he handed it over to his four generals. And again, exactly according to Scripture, everything that was prophesied happened in history. Absolutely amazing. Then there was this kingdom of iron and clay, which is the Roman Empire. And that had the east and the west areas because it talks about the two legs. There was the east of the Roman Empire, which had one force and the West, which had another force. Again, I'm not getting into all the details. This is just what happened. And then it speaks of the feet and the toes. And that speaks of the, um, of the same empire being split into 10 influential areas. Um, and then out of those 10 comes what the Bible prophesies, a little horn, which speaks in the Bible of the Antichrist, which we will cover in a minute. So, That's what happened from the overthrowing of the first kingdom when um, Daniel was there with the head of gold. We then had the Medes and the Persians. We then had the Greeks. We then had the Romans. That filled this part here all the way up. At 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The Roman Empire went on for another couple of hundred years and then it fell. That's what happened historically. So all of those scriptures came true. So the third reveal, please. The church age, this is where we are today. The church age between the cross and what we're going to get into about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what really, you know, causes a lot of the confusion, the second coming of Jesus Christ. From 30 AD to the second coming, at the moment, we're almost exactly 2,000 years, just so you know that that's the time period that we're in today. I'm not gonna get into trying to prophesy and predict when Jesus is coming back, um, but I think 
the signs of the times are very clear that we are living in the most amazing days uh, for the second coming of Jesus. At the point at the end of the church age, whenever that is, everybody is sort of going, the second coming, the second coming. There is a whole lot that happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And people get really confused with it. What's going on and when's it gonna happen and when's the Antichrist and where's Armageddon and when's all the nations coming against Israel? So I'm gonna go through it step by step. The first thing that happens is the rapture of the church. That is the first thing that happens. Thank you. Bang, there he is, the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter four. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will be caught up caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Now, this is where the confusion sets in. This, this is not the second coming of Jesus Christ. Clearly not in Scripture. This is the rapture of the church. The church is taken out of the world to go to be with Jesus. It's when Jesus comes for his saints. That's a good expression to think in your mind. That's when Jesus comes for His saints. When He comes for His saints, that is not the time that every eye sees Him. That is not the time. That's when He's in the air. He does not come to the earth. He, he stays out there and the church goes to be with Him. And a wonderful period for the church starts. 1 Corinthians 15, now this I say, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound the dead in Christ. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. And if, if you're alive at that time, who knows, might be another thousand years, but I I personally believe it's pretty soon. Uh, we go to heaven. Wow, we go to heaven. Thank God for that. We go to something called the judgment seat of Christ. And for seven years, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is spoken of in the 19th chapter of the last book of the Bible from verse nine onwards. That is a whole time we are tried by fire. We are, um, we are, uh, What's the word? We are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That is not the great white throne judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, we give an account, good deeds and bad deeds. It's not about salvation. It's about eternity. It's about rewards. There are five crowns the Bible talks about. There are robes the Bible talks about. And we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Wonderful time. That's what happens to the church. Remember, we're talking about the world and Israel as well. So let's just think about right now, because this whole thing of the 70 weeks is God's plan for Israel. The 70 weeks prophecy is about Israel. So remember, we've had 69 years. Do you remember Daniel said, he said seven years? 
So he's, um, he said seven weeks of years, then 62 weeks of years, then there'll be the church age, then there's one more week of years left of this prophetic word for Israel. You see, God's plan for Israel is absolutely central. In AD 32, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, we entered into the time when Israel rejected Jesus. Okay, this is really important to understand. The early church was all, obviously those of... Um, all getting saved out of the synagogues. They were Jews getting saved. Then the Gentiles got saved. But then as it moved on, Israel rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and we have the church age. So for Israel, there are so many um, uh, prophecies, they were scattered I could go through all the, all the details of when Israel was scattered, the 10 tribes, the two tribes, um, everything that happened from AD 70 when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, what happened to the Jews scattered through all the earth. But there are promises for Israel to bring them back to the land. And in 1948, a nation was born in a day. Hallelujah. And Israel came back into their inheritance. The people and the land for the first time came back to rule their own nation. And it was a fulfilment of Ezekiel 36, 37 and 38. The dry bones came back to life, hallelujah. God breathed and a nation was born, hallelujah. In 1967, Jerusalem was rebuilt by the incredible power of God. Absolutely amazing. There was a six-day war and Jerusalem was, was not rebuilt. It was, it was under the authority again of the Jewish people. In Ezekiel 36 to 38, now this is where we don't know there is, well, I, I know what I think, but there are different interpretations as to where in what I'm just about to say happens. Does it happen just before the rapture, just after the rapture, in the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? Well, it won't be the end because something else happens at the end. But around this time, we'll talk about the tribulation in a minute. Ezekiel 38 says this, For the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, against of the land of um, Magog, the prince of Rosh, and um, Eshek and Tubal and prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Gog, and the prince of Rosh and Tubal and um, Eshek. Now, if you get a map, the whole land of M-A-G-O-G, um, Magog, is the area of... Um, it spans from Kazakhstan through Turkey. And obviously the boundaries are different from where we are today. But it's that whole area just north of Israel does not include Iran, does not include Iraq. But it's that whole area there. It includes the Ukraine. It includes that area. Then he speaks about Rosh, which is what we would know today as Russia. And it's the area above Magog. Then he speaks of Tubal and Meshech, um, which speaks of across to Poland and Germany. Those are the areas we are talking about here. Okay, just to make it abundantly clear. 
And he says, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, you and all your army, I will, your horses, your horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with buckler shields, all of them handling swords. Then he adds in, and Persia. Now Persia is Iraq going down to Iran, and Ethiopia and as, as, as Libya are with them, all of them with the shield and the helmet, and he adds in Goma and all its troops and the health of Togomar from the north and all of its troops and many people are with you. And he talks about all of that lot coming against Israel in a, a war. Now, is that going to happen just before the tribulation? Is it going to happen just after the, sorry, um, just before the rapture? Just after the rapture? In the tribulation, well, there's a little bit of sort of, okay, when exactly does this happen? Because it says Israel will be living at that time securely in the land. Securely in the land. And there is some sort of, are they living securely in the land? Yes or no at the moment. Will they rule the land? But is it secure? Uh, well, that's up for discussion, really. Um, again, all the world superpowers at that time will come together to annihilate Israel, but the great thing is, and again, I'm not going through all these scriptures, God steps in and destroys the armies supernaturally. The Bible says there is an earthquake which at that time opens its mouth and the armies are swallowed. There are hailstones that come down and they start fighting each other. Now, this is not allegorical, this is what is going to happen on the planet. So I'm not going to put that anywhere in that period, but it certainly happens around that seven years. Well, in fact, really around the first three and a half years. It'll either be there in the middle or it'll be at the start. Now, what happens next? There is, as we have here, the tribulation of the earth. This is Daniel's last seven weeks. Sorry, the last seven years. This is split into two halves. So if we can have the next reveal, please. We have the first three and a half years. This is, that's why I'm just saying it so clearly today, this is the rise of the Antichrist. This is after the rapture of the church. All this will come up as one big thing, then you can all, because you've got your photographs out, where you can all, it's like, a, it's like a marriage, isn't it? And a dedication. You can, all this will come up in one big lovely screen at the end, and I'll pose and there it is. So, this is, this is the arising of the Antichrist. Now, Jesus is very clear, and so are other scriptures. There are many Antichrists through history. Many Antichrists. Anyone that is not for God has an Antichrist spirit. Absolutely, until you're born again. But this is speaking about the Antichrist, the son of perdition. This is the, the abomination that causes um, a, a desolation. This is the little horn of Daniel. This is the Antichrist. He is unknown until he is raised up. So right now, don't try and name him. Because you will not know him until after the rapture. So you're never going to know who he is while you're on the planet. Okay? So get out of your thinking all this, oh, it could be him and it could be him. No, you will not know he is kept hidden until after the rapture. Abundantly clear from Scripture. All right? And that is a safety for the church to stop looking for him. 
Okay, stop trying to find him. You won't find him. Who is he? Well, the understanding is, and what I would believe, he's from Europe area and he's a Gentile. That's really important. He will be very attractive to people. People will want to follow him because he has the answers for the generation. Now, you've got to remember, the church is gone at this point. I mean, just imagine the shockwave on the planet when all of a sudden, a third of the world disappears. Seriously. There's going to be utter chaos, confusion. And he's going to step in. Now, again, if, those, if all the armies come against Israel at that point, it could be that he solves that problem after, sorry, fills that void because God's going to solve the problem. It could be he steps in to that position there because all of a sudden you've got the destruction of all the world armies coming against Israel. So that could be a good time for him to go, hey, I'm going to step in and I'm going to lead the world. It could be that he steps in through other ways and then there is a thought process there that he leads those armies against Israel. Okay, we're not clear. But he will be attractive to people, but people will blindly follow him. Blindly follow him. Authoritarianism will start to rise. People will start to be absolutely conforming to what he's putting out there. Um, there's the whole deal with the mark of the beast and you can't buy or sell and the cashless society and all of that is going to happen under his reign. However, these first three and a half years, there'll be a 10 nation or a 10 world leader sort of um, government at that time. He will overthrow three and he will lead and it will be a time of great peace and prosperity. It'll be wonderful. At the very start of this of this seven-year period, which is called the tribulation, scripturally, at the very start of it, and this is critical to this end-time prophecy, he signs an agreement, a covenant with Israel to protect Israel. Okay? This is, this is absolutely central and fundamental to all the end-time scriptures. He signs an agreement. He makes a covenant with Israel for peace and prosperity in Israel. That's why some people think he deals with or he comes in after this great army if it's there and he steps in and says, this will never happen again. And steps in and says, peace and security. Peace and prosperity. There will be a 10... Um, a 10 uh, king sort of a dictatorship. And this is clear, again, from loads of other prophetic words. The authority to rule is given by Satan. He empowers them to rule. The Antichrist has with him a false prophet. Very clear in Scripture. So he has a sidekick which can actually move in supernatural power. This is a part of the reason why he's able to lead and deceive so many because there are actual signs and wonders that accompany him. Okay? He makes this agreement. Um, there are so many other things I could throw in this. There are those two examples in the Bible. Some people say Elijah and Enoch. Some people say Moses and Elijah. They come and they preach. They are killed. They are left and they are raised from the dead. And there's this whole great incredible thing of the gospel being preached. And in that time, that first three and a half years, 
Um, obviously, people can come to Christ because these you know, two guys are, are speaking and they're preaching in Jerusalem. Um, but still, because it's a time of peace and prosperity, Israel is not really turning to God at that time. At that time, some will, of course, because it's by the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's not like the whole nation comes to Christ. At the end of the three and a half years, we have what is called, thank you, Akim, is the Great Tribulation. What happens is the Antichrist breaks his agreement at that three and a half year period in the middle of the seven years. He breaks his agreement with Israel. He moves into Jerusalem, into the rebuilt temple. They would have had the temple built by then, which is already prepared. They've got all the utensils to put into the temple. It is all prepared to be built today. Absolutely amazing. This has been going on for, 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 well, since 1948. They've got all of the instruments of worship. They've got everything to put in the temple sitting there for the day they can start to build. Um, I don't know what time they start to build, but it is all built by halfway through that three and a half years because it's all there. It's just basically, let's put this thing together. Absolutely amazing. The Antichrist breaks his agreement with Israel and he moves into the temple and he operates from Jerusalem, and that is when he is called the abomination that causes um, a desolation. That's when he settles in the temple, Daniel chapter 12. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up there, there shall be 1,290 days, three and a half years. And blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. I'm not going to get into where 45 days goes and 30 days. This is not one of those great in-depth things. The last three and a half years is the great tribulation. And there are 21 in that three and a half years. There are 21 uh, uh, supernatural works of God. They are called the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of God's wrath. They are, the conqueror is released. There's conflict, there's famine. A quarter of the earth's whole world's um, population, they die at that point. There are the um, saints who give their lives. There are cosmic disturbances. Then we have Jesus opening the seventh seal. When he opens the seventh seal, we start with the seven trumpets. A third of the... Of the, of the plants and the of vegetation, and I'm going to use an expression here which will probably cause reaction, but I'm past caring now. Uh, a third of the vegetation is burned up. That'll please all the global warming people. It is destroyed by the rays of the solar system. Very clear. A third of the seas are polluted and a third of the fresh water is polluted. There is a whole cosmic disturbance around the earth, there is a release of demonic activity like never before, like a swarm of locusts. There is an army that is at that point all um, assembled, it gives you the number, 200 um, a million people in the army which need to march across the Euphrates um, flood river, which is now completely dried up. They're saying by 2030, this is scientists, it is already dried up, but by 2030, for the first time in history, there will be no Euphrates River, it's gone. 
And again, this is all according to Scripture. It goes into the seven bowls of God's wrath. There will be skin cancers and sores. The seas will be turned into blood. This goes with the other, other things I've said. The fresh water is turned to blood. Men are burned by the sun like never before. There's darkness and pain. And the Euphrates River is dried up. The earth is shaken. And the release of the end time kingdom on earth, which is... Um, Babylon. And that's where in the book you find the bull and the, and the dragon and, the, and Ishtar is, is on the bull and we find out about that next week. At that point, I need three weeks on this, don't I? At that point, we have what is known in the Bible of the, of the Battle of Armageddon. And that is when the Antichrist will lead the world against Israel. He leads that one. Whether he's led the other ones at the beginning, I don't believe he does. I think that's something else and he, and he sort of comes into the void of power. But here he leads. He leads the world against Israel to wipe them out. There are lots of scriptures on this. This is when we have the second coming of Jesus. Woo! <laughs> This is when Jesus comes with his church. Do you remember I said at the rapture, Jesus comes for his church? But he didn't come. He didn't come to the earth. He hangs around out there. We go to be with him. But at the second coming, there's the Battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Jezreel. That's all there. Um, you know, the end of the history is going to be settled there, the end of the age is going to be settled there. Jesus returns with his saints and with his angels. Every eye shall see him. All the nations have, have um, all come against Israel. But at that moment, Jesus comes and they all turn to fight against Jesus and us. All right? But the good news is there's no big battle. Jesus just goes, boom. And the Bible says he destroys the Antichrist and the false prophet just by the brightness of of his return. The Antichrist are destroyed, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Jesus throws the Antichrist and the false prophet at that point into hell. Are you enjoying this? Am I, am I trying to make this clear enough? I mean, I just want to go through step by step, okay? Israel at that point turn to their Messiah. Hallelujah. Because the Messiah comes like they were expecting Him. He comes in glory. You and I are going to be with Him. We're going to be riding on His coattails. Hallelujah. The angels are coming. The church is coming. And Israel turns to Jesus Christ en masse. Now there is a 75-day gap. I'm not, there's a 30-day and a 45-day. At the time when Jesus comes back, that is where we expect the judgment of the, of the world happens. Not the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the nations. That is when, do you remember the sheep and the goats? How did you relate to, to Israel? How did you treat Israel? And the nations are judged. And at that time, that's being done by Jesus and the church. Straight away, at the end of that seven-year period, we have the next era, which is the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus 
reigns on earth. Well, okay, at the beginning, the Lord Jesus throws Satan into a prison for a thousand years. God will appoint on earth over every nation, over the earth as we know it. This is not new heavens, new earth. This is the earth as we know it. We will be here and there will be a, um, and there will be a period for a thousand years where the church rules on earth with Jesus over all the nations of the earth. There will be no more corruption. This is the time the lion will lie down. Everybody says with the lamb, not scriptural. It doesn't say that. It's the lion and the wolf lie down together. Just people say, oh, the lion and the lamb. Not scriptural. It's the lion and the wolf lie down together. There is a time on earth of complete peace on the planet. There isn't any more corruption. Jesus reigns from Jerusalem. He's kicked out the Antichrist and he reigns from the temple on earth for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, they open up the prison again and Satan is released and straight away he goes out and deceives the nations again to come against Jesus, against Jerusalem and against the saints. But that doesn't even get off the ground and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, not just the abyss now, the lake of fire and we have the great white throne end time judgment when everybody who has not come with him appears before him and we go through the great white throne judgment. That is not an individual thing where, you know, have you been, have you done good, done bad? No, that's for the church. But for people who don't know Jesus at that point, it is en masse, depart from me into everlasting destruction. And that, even saying it, I just want to say it as clearly as it is, that is the outcome for everybody who does not know Jesus Christ. It is not a, oh, have you been, a, oh, did you have a heart for, or did you love? No, it's, are you born again or are you not born again? If you are not born again, the great white throne judgment is a removal of everybody that does not know Jesus into everlasting fire. The last point, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Everything at that point is destroyed by fire. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, the Lord will destroy everything by fire. The 21st chapter of um, Revelation, I mean, obviously I could go through the whole book of Revelation with all of this. It's abundantly clear. There is a new heaven and a new earth. There is a brand new Jerusalem which descends out of heaven 1500 miles cubed and Jesus rules heaven and earth for eternity and we live forever with glorified flesh, glorified bodies we've already got those at the rapture when we come back we're going to be eternal beings flesh glorified, transformed from corruption to incorruption and Jesus rules a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. As I close, what's our response? That's it, guys. I could put, I could put my own belief of the dates for this last bit, but I'm not going to do that in a church context. But just like you've got clarity down here, and you've got clarity up until this point, 
You've got clarity from Adam to Abram all the way to the law. You've got clarity all the way through. It's very clear to me how long this church ages. Abundantly clear. I mean, you, you know, for me to not see it is just like, well, how can you not see it? But let's, let's just forget that at the moment because that's not the point of this message. The point of the message is our God <laughs> has got a plan and He knows what He's doing. And we are alive somewhere in that. Somewhere. If I was to do an end times preach, I'll talk about the signs of the time. I've read them. I read them from Jesus. The wars, the rumours of wars, etc., etc., etc. Cashless societies, dictatorships, the kingdoms, the new kingdom that's happening, what's happening in the Ukraine, what's happening in Turkey, what's happening in Iran, what's happening all through that part of the world, what's happening all the way across through to Germany. I could go through all of it and say this is as clear as day to me. Clear as day. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say we're somewhere here. This, especially the, you know, these last three and a half years, this first three and a half years is bad enough. You know, talk about COVID, you know, control and the lockdowns. We ain't seen nothing yet. That was a forerunner. But this second three and a half years is just going to be hell on earth. I didn't go through really in depth the 21 supernatural things that are going to happen on this planet, people crying out. Where people are just, you know, fear is killing people left, right and centre. I mean, it's the most horrendous thing. Thank God we're going out on the first load. Thank God. Thank God. And I want to take as many people as I can with me. I want to take as many people, as many people as I can with me. What's our response as we close? Number one, pray for Israel. Yes, they have their own nation, but can I say it like this? The world, I'm not talking about people. The world is a spirit. The world hates Israel. Hates Israel. As a pastor of this church, I will say it as clear as I can. The whole theology of replacement theology is completely unscriptural. It is wrong. We are grafted into their vine. We do not replace Israel. Israel are the apple of God's eye. Israel is what all the end time prophecies are all about Israel. They're not actually about the church. Hello? They're about Israel. So God has not done with Israel and our eyes and our prayers have got to be for Israel right now. And the world is already starting to hate them again. Why? Because we're getting ready for everything. It isn't going to take long. So we need to pray for Israel because what they are going to go through when it talks about all the saints in the tribulation, when it says they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, that's Israel in the tribulation. It's not actually a church verse. Just to say, we're gone by that time. It's still a scriptural principle, but that verse is for Israel during the tribulation. See, Jesus kept saying to those who are faithful will be saved. 
The church is gone at that point. He's talking about the people that get saved during the tribulation. They are going to need grace like never before for what they are going to go through. They're the ones with the mark of beast who have to say no to it. I don't have to say no to that. Can I just clarify all of this? I don't have to say no to that. I'm gone. I'm gone. Now they're preparing for it, but I'm not going to have to make that choice. Hallelujah. Because I'm out on the first load. I'm a pre-trib, pre-millennial, pro-Jesus, end timer. Even the believers can be deceived at that time during that thing. We got to pray for Israel, pray for souls to be one and work hard. Work hard to see people come to Christ. Work hard. I mean, in 45 minutes, because I started late, I've tried to make sense of this. This is no joke. This is reality. This is where we're going. Whether I see it in my lifetime or not, I know what I think. But hey, I don't live like, oh, it's got to happen in my lifetime. I live like, well, I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. If it's another 500 years, if it's another five years, I'm still going to live to take people with me to see Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for this incredible book, your Bible, which spells out very clearly what's going on from your point of view. Lord, we all live in our own experience, our own worlds, our own circumstances. But Father, just for once today, will you help us see the big picture? What is going on in our world? And Lord, as we seek to be equipped and empowered to win our world for Christ. Lord, I do believe there's going to be a mighty harvest before that rapture moment. Lord, let it be in our day. Friends and families coming to Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.